I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. And welcome to Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And we are, it's just us today, but uh, oh my, we yeah. have so much stuff to talk That's about. Because we got lots to say. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, and just as, as we were setting up some of the things we want to talk about, it, it just, it seems overwhelming to some degree. And, I, and the reason I say that is because there's nothing we discussed that couldn't go on for an hour. Yeah. And yet, have it be its own show. And these are, yeah. these these are the things that are facing just our communities, uh, our, our country, certainly, and some of the national issues we're going to discuss. But I, um, there's part of me that is worried that we, we as a society, are are becoming overwhelmed by the issues that face us. Yeah. And so when uh, and and at the end, Amy brought up that we want to talk about why we started our podcast, and the reason I think that's important is because of stuff like what we're going to talk about. There are going to be subjects that you talk to people about that you're never going to change them. Uh, and there's no necessarily n- perfect right answer. However, they all deserve your time, your effort, and your dialogue constructively. And there's a reason to keep engaging in those conversations. Because if you don't, we don't get anywhere. And, and I would and say that persuading people to think like you is not one of them. Totally. Not so. one of them. Just just try to be heard. Okay. So I want to start out... Uh, this past, uh, about a week, not not this past weekend, but the weekend before, uh, there was an incident in the NFL where at the end of the Pittsburgh Steelers-Cleveland Browns game, uh, for reasons that I still don't totally understand why they ran this play, actually, because the game was pretty much over. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, Pittsburgh's quarterback, uh, Mason Rudolph, drops back, and he is tackled by uh, defensive end Miles Garrett from mm-hmm. the uh, Browns. And the play goes on and, you know, the, the game ends. But then what you realize is that later, uh, when we look back, there's a fight starts. Yeah. And in football, you know, there's a lot of big, huge uh, guys. And what was surprising is, A, that there was a lot of punches thrown and a lot of physical activity going, not just pushing and shoving like sometimes I, I, happens. Which I think is important. The quarterback who had his helmet ripped off and then was hit in the head with the helmet by Miles Garrett um, actually tried to pull Miles Garrett's right. helmet off when uh, they were under the pile. Uh, and notoriously, if you played football or you know someone who did, I covered it for 20 years, um, you never want to be on the bottom of that pile. Ever, ever, <laughs> ever. Because all kinds of bad things happen at the bottom of the pile that would get Grabbing, any one of us arrested. And, yes, that, no, no, it, it is assault by every, every possible uh, name. Yeah. That is right. So, um, so I... Um, I saw that, and, and my first reaction was, you know, he should be suspended for a few games, he should pay a fine, and and if the quarterback is injured, like say he sustained mm-hmm. a concussion and he missed seven games or uh, a year, then Miles, I think that when you injure someone in a purposeful act like that, your your suspension should equal what their, uh, what their injury 
causes them to be out. Agree, hundred percent. And also without pay. That's right. Uh, certainly without pay. So, yes. so I think that was pretty reasonable. I didn't see any issue with it. And then as you, so as then, you saw uh, unfold. It, okay. So the, yeah. the saga continues. I want to go back first of all. A this whole the whole incident, by the way. Well, not the whole incident, but uh, the, the 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 extracurricular that is the violence uh, was pretty much precipitated by the quarterback because he was pissed that the guy tackled him, which was bad. I, I won't even argue that. Uh-huh. However, up until then, it was just kind of your typical overreaction, tackle a quarterback, probably laying him a little too long. Mm-hmm. But what you find out is, again, as you described, there was some grabbing. Mm-hmm. And then the quarterback, you could, it, and, and they have to, a couple of angles when they show this. He was first, he was the first guy trying to rip off the other guy's helmet, all right? Mm-hmm. And when you see that, it's pretty violent, him twisting that guy's well, neck around. And if you have, and you've worn a, fo- a That's helmet. Absolutely okay. I so have. I've worn a football helmet and they are so tight that putting it on is painful. Like you know I feel I yeah, won't oh, yeah. even wear earphones in the studio because it hurts my ears. But I mean, I, I, I just I, you would interview these guys and they have creases in their head. That's right. Where the helmet has because been on you don't their want head. your head bouncing around. Inside you don't want the it helmet. bouncing around, right. and also you don't want the helmet to pop off because helmet comes off even and accidentally. You're totally exposed. You're totally exposed, and you need to leave the game. Yeah. You're you're required now to leave the game. Right. So there's a lot of reasons for it, but it's those things are like almost like vacuum sealed on their heads. So when you see a guy pull a helmet off. We're trying to. He is going to do serious damage to somebody's neck or head. Absolutely. So, so now you can kind of understand. I'm not saying that it is indefensible what, what happened. Okay, let's let's mm-hmm. start with that. I I am not trying to defend that, but I do understand what precipitated him just losing his stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. and that I'm only saying that to say that uh, he he was he was not right in doing what he did. However, I understand why he did it. Okay, so the guy tries to rip off his helmet. He gets up now. And uh, as he, uh, other players kind of come along trying to defuse the situation, Miles Garrett, to pick up the quarterback, uh, Mason Rudolph, he grabs him by the helmet. Turns out it comes off. So uh, then Mason Rudolph goes after him. There's people in between them trying to hold one, one guy back and the other guy back, and they're pulling. And Garrett, as I said, does the indefensible, and he swings the helmet. And fortunately, if ever there was some good fortune here, Rather than hitting with the crown of the helmet on the top of his head, he it was kind of the bottom part, and it it was more of a great a glancing blow, which uh, because Rudolph never stopped. Yeah. So when it when it he's hit him, going after right, him. He's, he's still going after. There's some offensive linemen who are kind of trying to protect him. And, and right. So it was it was horrific. I'm not even describing saying that, but it 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 didn't ha- turn out as bad as it was. So he gets suspended. All right. I'm going to move this forward because afterwards um, I, I had a chance to watch one of the NFL shows before Sunday football. And one of the it was on Fox uh, News, uh, Fox Sports. And there's Michael Strahan, Jimmy Johnson, Howie Long, Terry Bradshaw and Kurt Benefee. And um, I think I've got all of them. So the the idea was I, I heard each of these people and all and, and all of them have played football, actually, as it turns out, because Jimmy Johnson, though he was a, he's a coach, he also played at Arkansas with J- uh, Jerry Jones, as it turns out. So anyway, uh, each of them described Garrett as a decent human being who totally lost his stuff when uh, this, this thing transpired. But Michael Strahan and, other, and, and the other players, too, will say that in practice, these kinds of uh, incidents happen on occasion. Mm-hmm. That is not to say that it's right, but that is to say that people lose their tempers, and when that happens, uh, irrational behavior takes place. And Strahan even mentioned that in practice, he hit somebody with his helmet. Right? Yeah, to something he is today ashamed about. 
Yeah. But it happened, and it doesn't define him because it didn't happen in a game, and it certainly wasn't broadcast. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Miles Garrett, I think the same thing. You know, he should be suspended. I, I got no problem with that. Mm-hmm. But now he has brought up the idea that what precipitated that was him being called a racial slur, which only came out after he yeah. had his appeal with the NFL, which was upheld, mm-hmm. so he is still suspended indefinitely, yeah. at least through the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And to me, as a black person, I am surprised to hear this allegation because if surprise, that was, is it surprise or is it um, like you? I feel this way sometimes when um, you hear a, a sexual harassment right. claim after or something, and and they had all this time to bring that up, and or or a plenty of opportunity to say this is why I did what I this right. is why I left or this is why I complained or this is why I took the action that I did. It always makes me really, really nervous and afraid that it's not true and it's going to just make it harder because there are so many people so willing to believe that every sexual harassment or sexual assault claim is is made up um, that I get nervous about that. And um, and then it'll just lead to you and I have had these discussions with people. um, See, we told you. Right. They're they're all there. It's not true. And see, I'm not uh, uh, like I'm rarely I, uh, though what you say is true. I, I'm not though. I'm usually what, believing that it's rare that people make those allegations. I agree. However, it's absolutely rare. I am. I'm still suspect because this is kind of one of those landmine things. If, you, if you're going to throw this out here, mm-hmm. it is not, it's, it's pretty much the worst thing you could say, you know, and you're on a football field with other people of color. uh Many of them your teammates, by the way. So he's accusing Mason Rudolph of using a slur, and he's playing for a team with a black coach and plenty of black teammates, and he's played football, which means he's been around plenty of black people, plenty of African-American people, and plenty of non-white uh, people, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, his, his entire life at this yeah. point. Okay. Look at his line. Exactly, right? He, <laughs> Look he, at the guys, the guys who have to protect him. The guys who were trying to help him when, when, when all this stuff was breaking loose. Okay. Yeah. So... If that were the case, if I'm Miles Garrett, that's the first thing I'm saying. I am not holding that until after I get suspended because I've already hit the guy with the helmet. I know I'm gone. Yeah. And I've had time. Even the next day after I've had time to relax and talk to my lawyer or my a union representative, I have to bring this out into the open to, in the very least, sort of explain my ridiculously uh, heinous behavior. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I had two thoughts when I heard it. I thought... Um, that if something like that got said in the heat, because stuff like that does get said. It's, absolutely. It um, does I, I remember doing a story on could can coaches really enforce a no, you know, can, can they really enforce a language policy, whether that's foul language or using racial slurs? Because you can enforce I enforce it by suspending everybody whenever you hear it. Yeah, and, and some of the, some coaches said, absolutely, I don't tolerate it. I don't let kids participate if they use that language. Um, and then other coaches said, well, this is the language they use. We can't do anything about it. So I just make sure they don't use it against one another or in a game, which is silly because you can't, you can't, if you're a, a person like me who swears, it's really hard. Sometimes it comes yeah. out and you're not so prepared should. for it. So that's why it's a difficult thing. But but I think that, um, so my feeling was that it, that word may have, or those words may have been, you know, tossed about there by the people involved in that mm. melee. Um, and he may have heard something like that. It may, that may be true. Um, but 
I think for me, the biggest issue is, and this is my problem with politics today, too. We're always trying to explain our own bad acts by saying, look what they did. They made me do it. And to me, that is the essence of criminal thinking. I committed a bad act because you did something wrong. That's what that's what the, uh, the abuser always says about the women. You made oh, me do it. She made me do it. She pissed me off, so I, I, I whacked her upside the head. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, you made me. Do, your behavior forced me to behave like a criminal. And I really think that we have to start saying, whether it's sports or politics or anywhere else in our lives, like you are responsible for what happens to you. Whether if someone's rude to you, they call you names. I've been I have had that experience. And I promise you, I did not punch him. Right. I didn't act. I didn't react with the same vitriol. And that's where I feel he went wrong. So to me, it's it's kind of beside the point. It's not totally beside the point. Except that we don't want that language going. We don't want it to be used. I understand that. However, if if a white person called me the N word, it. Yeah, I, I would I would. I would cons- I would certainly consider physical violence, though I would like to believe I would behave. So uh, say more say we're in the newsroom, and somebody you're in an argument with someone, and they use a, a racial slur towards you, and you punch them. Do you think the law is going to take that into consideration? I don't know about the law. I'm, I'm, we, we, or our bosses, I, I, or our bosses. Well, I think our bosses would. Yeah. And I I think that if if somebody used the c word in in, in in the newsroom and they called you that, I think our bosses would take that into consideration, and that other person probably gets fired. Sure. All right. So those are probably violations of those, policy uh, in, in a whole. So that's why it matters in right. Miles' case. And again, this is his that's workplace. exactly right. This, this is, is his, his workplace. workplace. Yeah. And so in that way, um, and we've gone way too long in this, but uh, I feel like it's there are mitigating circumstances that should be considered. Mm-hmm. It is still not to defend what he did because what he did was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I am saying that a hundred times. And even if he did get called that, I still don't think that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, at the very least, I mean. I'd rather rather he punched him. I, throwing the helmet—that's just that's just over the top because he could have killed him, and mm-hmm. I, I just don't find that uh, acceptable whatsoever. So, this is only to say there's a lot of mitigating circumstances. We, hopefully, we're going to find out what's going on. I am still suspect of that allegation because I just can't even imagine Mason Rudolph being that stupid uh, in that situation, knowing he's got to go back into the locker room with his black coach and his black teammates, and that his black teammates could hear him. Right, and somebody. Right, I I would be shocked if somebody didn't hear that. And no, at this point, nobody has come to uh, corroborate Miles Garrett's allegations, which, by the way, I don't know if I actually heard him say as much as I think it was said by his lawyer. However, okay. I don't know that for a fact. I, uh, I just feel as though w- when I heard the statements made, it sounded very lawyery. <laughs> so that way I, I understand. And that's kind of what you pay your lawyer for. OK, when we come back. Um, we're talking about democratic debates. We're going to talk about some Does debates. Does anybody care? Because, well, Does anybody watch? I care because I, yeah. you know, I, I need a new president. But uh, <laughs> when we come back, we will start with that. Uh, you're listening to Voices of Reason. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. We are back with Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And uh, before we talked about some football, now we're going to politics because that's because there's always because it's a different sport. And I really feel like there's a lot of parallels. (laughs) And sadly, because I don't think politics should be kind of a all or nothing, you know, winner take all type situation. I really think it should be much more of a collaboration. Whatever what everyone hates in sports, everyone gets a trophy. That's what politics should be. Everyone should get something out of our political process. Everyone should get something out of negotiating. I hate the idea that everybody gets a trophy. That's terrible. I know, but I'm saying politics should be the place where you get a trophy for participation. Everyone should get something for participating. Like, no one should leave empty-handed from the political process, right? Okay, that's fair. And, I mean, obviously, there are exceptions. I've been enlightened today. Thank you, Amy. There are exceptions. (laughs) People who are super, super, you know, extremists. But, But for the most part... I've always seen politics as the way we solve problems in this country. We have a problem. Uh, you know, uh, let's just take DACA, for instance, um, the Deferred Action Against Childhood Arrival. So kids are brought to this country by their parents. Uh, they're brought here illegally and they grow up here. They only know this country. They're Americans just as much as I'm an American. And uh, the difference is that I was lucky enough to be born here. They were not. And so. President Obama signed an executive order, which I was not in favor of because I knew this would happen. um, And President Trump repealed it. So right now it's with the Supreme Court. And it's my feeling that the Supreme Court should overturn that and that DACA should be invalidated. It was never supposed it never should have been an executive order. Congress should have taken up this issue. And they are derelict in their duty, in my opinion. If if these kids have been failed by anyone, they've been failed by Congress. And so uh, so you have this process where you're get, there, people are gathering information. So everyone should get something out of that. Should they have a pass to citizenship immediately? Should that be delayed? What should that cost? What penalty should their parents pay for bringing them here illegally? Um you know, but that's uh, just one issue, though. You're talking about... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but, yeah. but so you look at this issue, then everyone should be able to get something that they feel good about, right? That they So that's why I think politics is a not a zero-sum game. Yes. But when I watch the Democratic debates, and everyone's like, seven key elements, winners and losers from the debates, greatest quotes, best zingers from the debates... I hate that zinger thing, by the way. I know. And I I honestly feel like this is somewhat, we're going to talk about impeachment hearings in our next segment, but I honestly feel like this is sort of what the impeachment hearings are. Can I get a 30 second minute and a half clip that everyone can share on their social media that shows me kicking some trash, right? That's what I feel like the debates are. Like, let me have my moment so I can use it to raise a bunch of money because I really have good ideas. And, And that all may be true, but it's just so disheartening to me that this is what it's become like i've never thought massive debates were super scintillating television but now if they're not people are like we don't we we just want to watch the clips and so for like for me i watch and and i try to get people and listen to their ideas Mm -hmm. and over time i believe you because one debate or two debates doesn't really help you but over time you get to a sense of what the people who are the candidates, what what their true uh, 
their tenets are, what their beliefs are, and you at least how uh, educated and how intellectually astute about politics and the political issues that face our country are. And and so when I watch Elizabeth Warren, the reason I like her as much as I always have is because she's thoughtful. Is she getting everything right? No, but nobody does, right? Because uh, th- there's always something I like that somebody else doesn't. And that's, you know, everybody has a stake in this. However, when I uh, when I compare her to other candidates, I have to say to myself, then I start comparing and saying, well, uh, I like this, these things they have in common. And then there's uh, shortcomings that one may have that the other might not have and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, like, I love Tim Kang for a number of reasons, most of which is he's as authentic as any of the candidates on that uh, on the dais because he is telling you what he believes and why he believes it. And he doesn't use a lot of political speak. And uh, he's the I, I do feel like he legitimately wants this thing. Now, the problem is he You're is talking about Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang, did I say? Yeah, I'm you sorry. said Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine. Or, uh, I thought. You know, Tim Kaine is, is that the guy. Uh, VP. Yeah, and I don't even like candidate. him. I am so sorry. Forgive me. I know. I was like stunned. Andrew I was Kane, like, wow, tell me why uh, you like the, him. The, the, the Asian guy Andrew who Yang. likes math. I'm yeah. sorry. No, and who's so going to give me $1,000. That's right. He wants yeah. to give everybody $1,000. So, but, but the point is, uh, Andrew Kang, again, I believe is, he is sincere and he is, you know, as opposed to so many other people who are disingenuous when they say these things, he, he legitimately wants to do this for reasons that he, he has uh, laid out. Mm-hmm. Similarly, uh, Elizabeth Warren, I just have always I read her book. I just yeah, find I don't, that she's I don't think, um, as far as Democratic candidates go, I think that they're all um, decent human beings. Absolutely. Like I, oh, yes, I, I didn't, There's nobody that I, uh, maybe except Michael Bloomberg, <laughs> don't. Th- He's I don't, not even in a race yet. I even know. Tom Steyer. I, yeah. I've listened to and him. I don't he's, know enough about him. He's I just, not terrible either. Yeah, I have a. I have you'll a, never have a chance. I have him. a millionaire, billionaire uh, yeah. revulsion thing. So, but uh, but I think though they are good human beings, and I do think they all think like they have answers, and that's why they want to run for office. Um, you know, and I vacillated. I uh, be- between the candidates, like you know, I'll be with Elizabeth Warren and then I'll hear something that Kamala Harris says mm-hmm. and I'm very persuaded by Absolutely. that. And then I really have liked moments of Cory Booker's um, philosophy, although I don't think he has a ton of substantive plan. He has a lot of um, good ideas and, and, and I like, I saw him on The View and he and Megan McCain, she was pretty, I don't know, she was kind of in attack mode about the gun rights thing. And, mm-hmm. and she was at responding to Beto saying, Beto O'Rourke saying we should take we should go around and collect all yeah, the air forty sevens. Yeah. Um, so she yeah, was rightfully that. upset by that and and saying this will never work yeah. and um, and he actually I thought had a really great moment where he was saying like this is the problem like we can't keep attacking each other because we disagree um, in this country we have to get back to figuring out how we can work together even if we disagree right like the disagreement will actually make for better plans and policies right, because, because if you can detail what you disagree about maybe you find commonality that makes it palatable for both of you and i think one thing that the democratic debates have caused me to realize is how much i miss the, us being one country right so i feel like so often it's um and and president trump's really terrible at this he says constantly the republicans this republicans that well this country is not made up of just republicans and and many, many people who are not affiliated with the Republican Party, who have nothing to do with it and don't believe a single thing in the platform, are great patriots of this country. And I find it just super, super offensive. Patriots take all shapes and sizes. Yeah. And, but I mean, I just I so I find it and offensive all belief systems. that we've gotten to this point now that the parties even met. I really thought the parties were going to go. They were going to crash and burn. 
after the 2016 election because we could only hope they both failed so miserably. <laughs> yes. Right. But interestingly, because they talked about if uh, that the Republicans could possibly have just had to start all over again. And I remember when the Democrats did that, I thought to myself, well, they've in, in the span of eight years, they went from owning everything to just having nothing. So I still feel like both parties have a lot of reshaping to do. But reshaping. Well, no, but I'm just saying. I'm not saying overhaul. Well, if you want to get people okay, like overhaul. us who are in the middle, like I. What I'm, I want is younger voices because yeah, I still yeah. feel like. Look, I, I'm I'm not totally an ageist, though. I, I I'd be lying if I said I wasn't kind of an ageist. <laughs> I don't want a 78 year old uh, president, but I think if Elizabeth Warren gets elected, she's gonna be a 78 year old president. All right. Um, I I feel as though oftentimes, as an old person myself, well, I'm almost old person myself. We get set in our ways. We think that this what, what what we want is better, and we sometimes fail to realize the value, and uh, we lose the potential enlightenment of learning how things are done in in a way that's uh, a little foreign to us. All right, I don't love social media, but I know it has value if used in the proper fashion. I could be one of those people who say, "No, I don't. I'm not." But that, the, the the Twitter and uh, the Instagram, no. I understand that each of these things have some value if we are thoughtful in how we uh, – they're instruments, they're tools, right? Similarly, with politics, I know that inasmuch as there is wisdom and understanding the political system that we have in place, I still believe that continuing to do it the old way hasn't totally served us particularly well, you know, year after year after year. If we were to uh, – con- bring in some new ideas, some change some of the ways we've behaved and, and we use our political systems so that we can lift everybody up, not just necessarily people in your party or people who believe what you believe, then there is a chance for us to improve our nation mm-hmm. and, and I, I sincerely in our communities. And I sincerely believe that. So I, I want to see some young blood, you know, on those stages. This, mayor Pete, I don't love the idea that a mayor from South Bend, Indiana could be the president. Mm-hmm. Because I, I feel as though see I do well, like you, that description is like my ma- problem amazing. with that is I don't I, I think that there's some useful uh, n- usefulness in understanding federal government and the behemoth that it is and the complexity his, of running that kind of government. But Donald, his time as a as a veteran I gives him that. some kind of some insight of that, but it's, it's into still, that. It ain't, it ain't running the government. Running running a small town in the middle of Podunk, Indiana, and I've been to South Bend, so I can say this: uh, it's not it ain't running. The federal government. It's just not. They, those, mm-hmm. And it's not running a company, by the way, either. Mm-hmm. So, but I know he's smart. And I know he, he he's not going to run it by himself. He's going to have a lot of help. That's what I think. And so in that way, I am, I'm not like, you know, just... I don't write him, him, him off because, together. A, I trust his judgment as yeah. far as... Who, and he seems who, like as decent a human being as this ever run for office. I can no, and that. honestly, yeah. I'll be straight up with you. One of the things that appeals to me about Mayor Pete is one of the things that doesn't appeal to my husband. And that is that... He talks about his faith pretty openly. And I actually have missed that in the, you know, and I, I, again, don't consider myself a member of either party. Did you just say you miss faith being talked about in politics? In, in left leaning politics. Oh. Because um, they, it seems to me that if it is, it's kind of giving a superficial, like, yeah, I go to church, so vote for me type of thing. And his is like, really just, it's, it's how it impacts who he is and how he views the world and why certain policies, like why um, his faith and as a Christian impacts, um, you know, what he thinks on immigration, right? His immigration policy, which is 
absolutely diametrically opposed to what the president is pushing. So it was it for me just a different. You hear faith a lot on the right. I feel like it's a club that I'm getting beaten over the head with. And now I feel like there's this opportunity to talk about the ways in which faith makes you uh, like in Utah, welcoming to refugees, kinder to people who are struggling, um, not judgmental. Is is, is religious a place as there is in America? Absolutely. And is conservative a place? Ultra conservative. Yeah. And so I but 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 they're using. The, the people I know in this state who are religious and spiritual, you, that, that faith is saying to them, we have to care for these people. Like, it's our responsibility to be our brother's keeper. Like, we have to reach out to them. We have to do more. And so, and that is what I hear from Mayor Pete, which I don't hear from very many people on the left. I think they kind of avoid the topic of religion because they are trying to appeal to people um, like some of the members of my family, including like my beloved husband, who doesn't want... To, he wants faith and spirituality to be something you keep to yourself because he feels like it's it's very individual. And when you say we're a Christian nation or a Judeo-Christian nation, you automatically eliminate people like him from the conversation. Right. And you say, this and is not Americans your country. Too, we are way. not your leaders. Right. And I understand that 100%. But as a person like me who sort of sees faith informing decisions in a positive, loving, kind, generous way, I don't hear that that very much. And I don't hear it in left-leaning politics. And I want to understand, I know these people have faith. I know they believe in God. I know they, uh, you know, um, that that's impacted, even if they don't practice faith today, it has impacted who they have become. And so I, that's maybe my favorite thing about Mayor Pete is that he's made it, um, he's made it a democratic thing to say, this is how my faith informs me on that subject. And it's a contrast to what I see happening on the right side of the fence. And I appreciate just having the diversity, just having the diversity of thought, the diversity of feeling and and um, and a faith um, that you're like, I, I, I have a friend who's LDS and um, her uh, someone said to her, how can you be LDS and be a Democrat? And she said, <laughs> that uh, is such a ridiculous statement. No, it is. But, but you know, she said, rather than get in a big fight, she said, I'm trying to follow Jesus. And that's what I think you should understand about faith is that it doesn't mean you're going to be one political party or the other. It means that your feeling about God and your relationship with God is going to inform you in a way. And I feel like that has been half we haven't gotten the full full discussion, the full range of ways in which that is possible, and Mayor Pete brings that to the table. We're going to uh, have to switch because we've gone way too long again. Uh, <laughs> we, we have too much to say, right? So next, impeachment okay. and talks of that. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Uh, we're on to impeachment now. Uh, these hearings have been going on for a, a little while now. And first of all, I want to I want to mention two, two, two things. Well, the Impe- inquiry, the inquiry is going the, on. Yeah, right? uh, and, and they haven't voted on it yet, right? We we haven't gotten that far. This is just inquiry. We have testimony and things like that. Even if the president is impeached, it means. It does not mean he will leave office. Okay, let's let's just get that out in the open. Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton was impeached, all right, but he was not voted out of office. The, the Senate votes. The Senate to remove v- him. Vote, Now there is some talk of moving the trial to the Senate. 
But um, and, and if that's the case, then he won't get impeached. He won't so, get impeached. Yep. So let's. This is all political theater in in a lot of ways. All right. And whether or not you believe he should be. And uh, let's be clear that impeachment this? is a political act. It, it is, is not it is, a criminal right. trial. It is like the rules of evidence don't apply. There's not. So people who are like, you know, now and let's be clear, the president has been invited to participate and, and his attorneys have been and, right. they, and they have declined to do so. Right. And then he has directed most of his staff not to participate. And those who um, have, he has lambasted at every possible. Uh, although I do find it interesting. Here's what so we're going to jump right in. Uh, Ambassador Gordon Sondland, businessman from Seattle who donated a million dollars to Trump's campaign. And in return, he got to be an ambassador, got to be appointed ambassador. Not the first or the last person of any of uh, every party. party. That's right. This is the way. FYI, this is the way it works. If you're rich, you can buy yourself an ambassadorship. Or sometimes you can buy yourself uh, a cabinet position. Uh, That lady, the secretary of education. Yeah. You donate enough money. What's, What's her name? Betsy uh, DeVos. Betsy DeVos, yeah. That's yeah. Right. Um, so, so he donates a million. He gets to be ambassador to the EU. Um, and he testified a couple days ago. I don't know when this will air, but um, he de- testified um, that he felt there was a, a quid pro quo, yep. which is... Uh, that, you that, give me something, I'll give you something. Yeah, that the president wanted an announcement saying that they were investigating Burisma and the Bidens, and in exchange they would get a White House meeting and some uh, military aid that had been held up. Congress had approved it, and it had been held up for a couple months. Um, so that um, being said, he still has a job. Most of the people who were testifying have either been fired or left, Um their positions. And in fact, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who's mm-hmm. one of the first who was on the call, who uh, was assigned by the army to the National Security Council. He ha- he was reassigned right after his testimony. Um, and so he's not on the National Security Council anymore. He's been reassigned to some other uh, duties. But um, they said that's pretty normal to move them in and out. I don't know. You judge yeah, for yourself. Right. But um, but I thought it was interesting that not only did Trump not attack uh, at least that I saw, um, Ambassador Sondland, he didn't fire him, right? So he still has his job. And so I don't I don't know what to make of that. Like the conspiracy mind of me is, like if you go in and say as clearly as you did that you think the president um, committed bribery, basically committed a crime, um, and you still have your job. Something the president has admitted to, by the way. Yeah, he has actually. Um, but yeah, then it, it, you get into all these other debates. But the thing that I found interesting about the impeachment, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it, I thought two things. First is, I've watched my friends post videos from both sides, and these impeachment hearings are doing absolutely nothing to sway anybody from any position. But they're not supposed to. Well, I agree. That's not why you do it. No. Um, but I'm shocked that it, it, they did a poll um, of independence. And, and I do question a little bit people who say they were independent because I'm an, you and I are independents and we're not. Yeah, know, but we have our leanings. We have our leanings. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that there's been a six point swing from October to now um, in uh, how independents view the impeachment proceedings. They're opposed to it. So they've gone from sort of slightly favoring it to slightly being opposed to it. And and here's what I think two things that my explanation for this after reading the articles and reading the study or this, the poll, a polls are notoriously um, uh, difficult yeah. because nobody has home phones anymore. But but except for, people don't always tell the truth. Yeah. honestly. And I that's the other thing. But the other thing is, I think that I've watched a lot of these hearings 
And I don't like the, I don't think they're getting at the truth. I think I had some idea, even though I've watched these before and I know they're sort of a, a dog and pony show. I thought there would be some, because they were going to have lawyers do the questioning, that this would be somewhat um, fact-finding. And so my opinion of the inquiry has been changed from fairly optimistic to completely negative because they're not fact-finding. All it is is both Republicans and Democrats trying to get their moment that they can make a social media clip and put on YouTube or um, Twitter or wherever. But it's politics. But it's so bad now because of these social media platforms. Like, Mm -hmm. we need the... And then you hear the zinger. So the exact same... Uh, series of, of question, questions from Jim Jordan and Fiona Hill. I saw Jim Jordan, you know, Lambass, uh, former uh, uh, security council member. And then another one is she takes him to task, you know. Yeah. So And it's the exact same clip. It's the exact same clip. <laughs> so that's when I started thinking, like, not only am I disappointed because this has been less fact-finding than... I mean, they knew the facts. Like, there's... This right, is, so that, I mean, I don't it, know that you were going to learn anything different. Oh, I did. I thought... I, stupidly, yeah. And it's sort of like, I, I still think the criminal justice system is about justice. But yeah, haha, on me. Because it's not... You're married to a lawyer. I know, I know, I know. But I just have faith in humanity that Why? I shouldn't have. Amy, I don't Amy, know. Amy, you have not been around me long enough. I, <laughs> I should have crushed that at you like two years ago. I'm surprised. Um, see, this is... Uh, she, she has too much optimism. Okay, so... Uh, we've we only got like two minutes. So yeah. here's the thing. I, I find that as a person who f- I'm, I'm kind of a political nerd in the sense that I do follow it along, though I don't follow all the, um, the, this, the little bitty, uh, you know, uh, minutia. He admitted to it months ago. OK, so the, the, the idea that he has committed an impeachable offense has already been established by the president himself. So the fact that they're doing this is completely political theater and dog and pony show. It, it is almost useless. And, and I find it, it it's it's uh, it's it's time waster, you know, in, in that way. I, I don't I don't pay that much attention to it because I don't know. I'm not going to I didn't learn anything that I didn't already know. And, and so in that way. But I also don't think that impeaching the president will do any legitimate good. Uh, so I wasn't a fan of the, the idea, though he did commit the crime. So we should hold him accountable for it. And there's, there's some legitimacy to that. It's it's it, it to me, if, if he do it one way or the other, that's fine. I, I get why. However, uh, when it comes down to it, it is not going to change many people's minds, if any, uh, on either side. So that being the case, it is basically something that uh, politi- politicos enjoy and they are having at it. What, either they're going to be criticizing it or they support it. And I think that a reason for me, the reason to have these hearings was not because the polls show it, people favor it or don't favor it because I don't have faith in myself or anybody else um, to know the best thing to do. I think the best thing to do is if he, as you say, he admitted it and there's evidence of, of a crime is to have the impeachment inquiry and the impeachment trial, you, even if it is uh, a bust. So even, you know what I mean? Or if it works, whatever the, the outcome doesn't matter to me as much as there are consequences to to doing something, and if we care about the rule of law, which we constantly are saying we do, then we just follow the rules, and it, everybody will have their vote still. So, um, but when we come back, I want to just like talk about what I learned. Like it really actually made me more. I took a lot of heart and hope from the hearings. I know this will shock you <laughs> because uh, I don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because. 
I I heard some things that just reminded me of what we're supposed to be about in this country. Okay. Uh, when we come back, Amy will tell me something that I apparently I don't know because I don't uh, I have so little faith. Ye of little faith. Uh, I'm Jason Lee. She's Amy Donaldson. This is Voices of Reason. Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson, this is Voices of Reason. We are back with our last segment here. Uh, Amy is going to surprise me because she has somehow found hope where in this in this abyss of hopelessness known as the American uh, political system. No, I think um, so. I think the inquiries have been, for the most part, a gigantic political mess. Right. Um, but 100 um, a cauldron. When Fiona Hill awfulness. offered her opening statement. And uh, if you didn't hear it, I, I encourage you to actually listen Fiona to Hill. it. She works for the N- NSC and um, she's an immigrant to yeah, this country. Council, yeah. And, and um, so but I, I actually went back and read all of the opening statements of the witnesses. And um, I think that is where I found the hope that there are people who work in government service and they've worked in government service for decades in the shadows. Nobody knows who they are. They don't go on TV. They don't get a lot of unelected bureaucrats, unelected bureaucrats. They're not rich that, and they love this country and they want to serve this country and they They are are ruining the country. They are executing policy for sure. But, but one of the things uh, she said, um, she said a couple of things, points that she wanted to make. Um, one of them was them understanding who she was and how she came to be in America. And and her story is that had she stayed in, in England, she would never have been able to rise to the level that she has because of where she was born mm. and what uh, what station in life she uh, uh, had been born into. But in America... Sounds like America. In America, that's different. In America, nobody cares what your accent is. They don't care how you got there, whatever. It's how hard do you work and do you have the skills? And, and, and you know, that's what it, it echoed what Lieutenant Colonel Vinman said. Uh, I, I feel comfortable coming in here despite all the criticism because this is America and in America we reward people for doing the right thing. And that was just Sometimes. a reminder to me. I know you don't believe it, but I believe it. I don't know that it always happens on the timeline that we want it to happen, but Yes, this is the country that does reward people for doing something and, and, and maybe you gotta work harder and maybe you gotta work longer hours and, and you get less and your boss takes credit for it or whatever. <laughs> is that of, being rewarded if your boss takes credit for it? But one of the things she said that I really think is important and it reminded me why we started this podcast, Jason. Yeah. She said the impact she was she was basically drawing this distinction that if you're still saying that Ukraine meddled in our elections, you are perpetuating a myth. It was the Russians that meddled in our elections. Some people think Russians and Ukrainians are the same. Well, just don't get me started. Okay. So the Russians, they're, they're enemies. The Russians are trying to kill and take the power and the property of Ukraine, the, the land. Um, and, and Ukraine is engaged in a, in a legitimate war in, right. in, their own war war in which people are dying right. today. So, um, but the... The Russians attacked this, and she said, the unfortunate truth is that Russia was the foreign power that systematically attacked our democratic institutions in 2016. This is the public conclusion of our intelligence agencies confirmed in bipartisan congressional reports. It is beyond dispute, even if some of the underlying details must remain classified. The impact of the successful 2016 Russian campaign remains evident today. Our nation is being torn apart. Truth is being questioned. Our highly professional and expert career 
Foreign Service is being undermined. Um, and, and it just was a reminder to me of why it matters that we keep engaging in conversation and we keep engaging in, in discussion and debate with people who disagree with us. And, um, and I had a conversation with a, a friend last night who um, said to me, you know, I don't like President Trump. He's crass. He's a bully. We've heard this before. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I like his policies. And I, I asked him which policies. And then I told him, you know, the deal breaker policy for me was family separation. And then we had a debate about, you know, who started it and under which president. And so, um, but at the end of it, I felt really good that we both left that conversation hearing something we would not have otherwise heard and remaining um, human beings to one another, right? Like, um, I wouldn't say this gentleman is a friend of mine, but, you know, we're friendly. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, all that happens, I- I've, I've struggled with this. Because I feel like some of the things that are being put forth, I mean, look at the stuff that came out about Stephen Miller, um, about the white nationalist agenda. Some of the things that are being put forth are so offensive and they just strike at the very heart of who we are and and what kind of country I want to live in and, you know, what makes a human being a human being, right? Um, That I have trouble saying I'm going to keep talking to people like that. I'm going to keep engaging with people like that. But I think if we fail to do that, we let the Russians win and we they they succeed. That's to me. That's the thing. They succeed. We have to keep I, I, I was opposed to like Mitt Romney going to lunch and and with all the other Republican senators with President Obama or with President Trump. And now I think go to lunch. Keep having the conversation. Keep talking to that guy. I don't think you're going to persuade him. And hopefully he doesn't persuade you to leave your your principles. But you know what? Nothing gets done if we don't talk to one another. Nothing changes. There can be no compromise if we're not even in, in the same room. If you don't mind wasting some time on occasion, I would say that's true. Because like you said, it, I, I think there, is, there are circumstances that uh, shade that a little bit. Having that discussion with, with the guy you talked about, that makes sense. I, there's a guy I work out with at the gym, uh, David Gibbon. We have, politically speaking, we are diametrically opposed. However, He's a decent human being. I hear what he says. I don't agree with it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't matter because we're we're both people with our own thoughts, and we have reasons behind mm-hmm. uh, behind why we believe what we believe. And that doesn't make him a bad guy because he don't believe what I believe. It just means he just got a different point of view. That I get. However, when it comes to people, some people, and and this on both sides, by the way, you know, I uh, who just have these kind of self serving generally uh, ideas that uh, don't serve to unite people in in the in the uh, in the grand scheme of things but to give some advantage and disadvantage others which is what i believe the stephen millers and the donald trumps of the world and to be honest with you there's parts of me to believe the same thing about nancy pelosi because mm-hmm. she she's a political animal no and, 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 and so i i, I, I not, did not like how she handled the four women of color who, I, I, who I, wanted cer- to change not. the direction absolutely, of that party absolutely yeah. and don't even get me started about either of the clintons all right <laughs> I, you mean our first black president? Okay. <laughs> that please let us never say that aloud again on this podcast. Okay, so so I'm only saying that to say that it's I'm not picking sides in this. Thing. I'm just I'm, yeah. the side I'm picking on is like what Amy talked about, and that is being the best of ourselves. Yes, uh, the best of our human our humanity, and I've said this many many, many times, and we we need to spend more time uh, finding that in each other. So that we can make uh, strides in becoming a more um, a more united, or at least you know, uh, civil 
See, and, and, and I think it's more than civil, civil, civility. It's I really want us to understand one another, right? You don't have to agree with someone to understand where they're coming from, but you have to have some empathy and some compassion for for their reality, right? I you, that you can do, even if you at the end of it say, "Look, I see and believe and understand why you believe." This is the reason that we should invest more in coal mines or whatever. But I just I see other issues as more important, like clean air, clean water or that things have evolved. I see this in newspapers. I just think that if you don't if you don't do more than tolerate somebody who disagrees with you, we never get to the American ideal. And I want us to live up to those ideals that kept all those immigrants coming here for, you know, for so long. You heard what the woman said. Uh, we should live up to our ideals. And uh, so we're going to keep keep trying to beat this drum, civility and being the best that we can be so that we can we can live up to the ideals of America. Uh, and if you, uh, you know, if you like what we're doing, check us out. We, we, this is this is what we do and what we love doing. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at uh, gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at ADONsports and at Jason Lee one Our show's Twitter handle is at VORpodcast. You can find us on Facebook, and you can also subscribe to episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. And uh, until next time, I'm Jason Lee. If you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.